In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I suppose a personal introduction might be in order. Some of you might think my face is vaguely familiar, and some of you not at all. I'm certainly not Father James. I have more gray hair than he has. Um, my name is David Kletzing. By the grace of God, I've been ordained a priest 35 years now. And am like you, I can say that my bishop is Alex Cameron, as of yesterday. Been part of the Diocese of Pittsburgh for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, uh, something like that. My church was Hope Anglican Church in Elburn, which closed a couple years ago. Since then, I've been pretty much in retirement. Um, so anyway, that's just a, a little necessity of telling you who I am. I don't know about you, but Hebrews 11 is always especially inspiring for me whenever I read it. I was glad to be able to preach on it today. The chapter begins by describing what it's like when faith is operative in somebody's life. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So how does this work in somebody's life, in real life? The author is already on it. And he cites many examples of how it worked in many people's lives. He shows us from the Old Testament many men and women of great faith and what it was like in their lives. The first 16 verses were read to us this morning by our deacon Mary. And they remind us of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, but if we read the rest of the chapter, there are a whole lot more great examples. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Two women whose dead sons were brought back to life. This probably refers to stories in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4, two Gentile women. And there were many other unnamed, too many to mention. People of great faith of the Old Testament, they were outcasts from society oftentimes, or sometimes they were tortured, sometimes even martyred. This passage is quite a hall of fame, or maybe we should say hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is all about encouraging your faith. And to do this, the writer, in good first century style, gives us a number of examples and analogies. But what was it about these people? What was it about the faith? How was faith, how did it happen that great faith was planted and flourished in their lives in such a special way? And I looked at this chapter and thought about it, meditated, and I have, you know, for years, you have too probably. I don't really believe in three-point sermons, but hey, guess what? I got three things that come to me as I read this passage. The first of, of which is that every single one of these people was a remarkable risk taker. Every one of them, they lived life on the edge. They, they didn't all get to the edge the same way. Some of them got there by following God. God says, like to Abram and Sarah, he says, I want you to go 
and they went, and from then on it was life on the edge. But some people, it wasn't that way. Life circumstances were really hard for them. They had no other recourse, no, nothing else except God to depend upon. They had no other choice. God was their only hope for every one of them. And it was this desperate, on-the-edge existence, if I can call it that, an on-the-edge existence that God miraculously met them. And he still meets people of faith today. We all know miraculous stories of healing, provision of maybe rent money just in time, uh, the miraculous meeting of the right person at just the right time. It might have been a medical doctor. Something that only, you know, we have this phrase, it's a God thing. I don't really like that phrase, but you know what I mean. And God still meets people. One thing, though, about these provision stories, and you know, some of these stories might be yours. One thing about these stories is that when they happened, the people in deep need had placed their faith in God they had no other recourse, they had no other, they didn't have a plan B. If, there, if plan B didn't work out, that was it. But they, God, did, God did meet them in their deepest need. Our Old Testament reading highlights for us the story of Abraham and Sarah. You know, we don't often talk about the risks, the risky life for Sarah. We talk about Abraham, but think about it. Her life married to this guy was no cakewalk. This husband of hers whose best friend seems to be a spirit. Can you imagine that? I wonder what Sarah thought about that. And she, like her husband, answered the call, left her family, her friends, her place in society, her, her, her home city, for a faraway land that, well, they didn't even know exactly where they were going. But there was the promise of offspring and blessings, and she and Abraham held God to this promise, and God was faithful. It turned out, though, that the greatest risk, now just think about this, the greatest risk for Sarah at age 90 to have a baby. Can you imagine the danger of that? But she was obedient, and so was Abraham. They both matured into people of great faith. Abraham lived his whole Palestine life in tents. He never took an address in any of the cities like Lot did. You know, people lived in cities in those days for safety. Living out in tents was risky. In the countryside, somebody was exposed more to the elements, including wildfires. There were wild bears. There were wild lions. We know from other passages in scripture. There were jackals, and not to mention marauders and bandits. No wonder Abraham had his own private army of 318 men. But Abraham took God at his word, that God would be his shield, his protector, and that God would greatly reward his life of faithfulness. How risky is your faith? Does God lead you to take chances that seems so totally illogical and make no sense except that God is speaking, God is leading? Or does he call you to take on a project that would 
be a great personal inconvenience, a great personal expense of some sort. Let me suggest that when God does speak to you and when you do answer and you do live through this wonderful experience following the Lord in a risky way that you share it with others. Tell the stories, especially tell it to the young people. They need to hear that. Here's a pastoral suggestion, especially for those of you who are parents or who are concerned for the youth of the church. Let your young people see you take risks. Do the extremely inconvenient thing. Let them see you put God to the test and let them see what the result is. The worst thing in most teenagers' lives is whatever is boring, whatever is predictable. And if your religion is boring and predictable, your kids will probably walk away from it. I know I did when I was a young man. Your children want to see a faith that takes risks and wins those victories. A second thing we notice about these people of great faith is that they were friends with God. They had what I'd call a conversational relationship with God, this speaking and listening, speaking and listening, daily conversation walk with God. They were so familiar with God that they knew his voice and they could tell whether it was God speaking or maybe just some random thought. Enoch is given as a great example in Hebrews 11, but as it was in Genesis 5, he first appears and we're told that he walked with God, which means he had this close friendship with God, a conversational intimacy with God. Enoch and God were best friends. Besides Enoch, James chapter two tells us that Abraham was a friend of God. Well, we know that. And Exodus 33 tells us Moses was a friend of God. Don't forget that in John 15, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, I call you my friends. That's another wonderful benefit of being his disciple. Intimacy with God is absolutely vital to a life of strong and lively faith. Jesus talked about this intimacy in terms of a sheep knowing the shepherd's voice and they know which shepherd to follow. The hardest part of a conversation with God though is listening, isn't it? I think most of us would say that. And some Christians even deny that this is possible. It's controversial. Um, I'll just mention a number of years ago, I was on the faculty at Gordon-Conwell Seminary and a visiting young theologian, he was young, so we'll give him some room here, um, had a give and take with about 50 students and one faculty, that was me. And what he said was, this is almost an exact quote, God will never speak to you, not even through the scriptures, through reading the Bible. God won't speak to you. Then he paused, he said, maybe God will speak to you through your pastor. Maybe through your pastor, but he won't speak directly to you. That puts a lot of burden on us pastors. 
Now, if that's true, we're all doomed to be second-class faith walkers. The Holy Spirit does speak, in fact. He speaks to God's children, and, and that's a large part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, to speak to us, sometimes through your pastor and through Scripture and through worship and through relationships with other Christians, through Christian art, literature, or even some art and literature that's not particularly Christian, but it's great art or literature. The Lord might speak to you through that. And sometimes he'll speak to you in that still small voice deep in your soul. When we are friends with God, it is easier to hear God, isn't it? A third thing we see in these people of faith is that their personal point of reference is eternal. From Hebrews 11, verse 10, for he, Abraham, was looking for the city that has foundations whose builder and designer is God. Abraham and Sarah's faith kept going all those years in the conviction that God would be true to his promise, that there was a reward for them when this life was over. There was a, an eternal reward waiting for them. Hebrews also tells us that such people considered themselves strangers and exiles on the earth. Quite simply, they don't belong here. We don't belong here. We see many, throughout the Bible, we see many references to where the follower of God's true home is. The most famous one, John, I mean, uh, Psalm 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20 that your citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong here. And those people of great faith, especially, you could see how they lived their lives, that they had their eyes on heaven. And that was their personal point of reference, how they interpreted the world around them, the politics of the world around them, the neighborhood, the people, the, the events, the natural order. Everything was interpreted in this point of reference of heaven. So Hebrews 11 gives us some really wonderful examples of people, faith-filled people who lived a risky life doing what God called them to do. They were intimate, best friends with God, and they kept a daily two-way conversation with him. And their highest point of reference is their destiny in heaven. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen.